will you take this for that? It's about garage sale season, isn't it? Where on weekends, mornings, uh, people will be out early uh, as soon as light arises to, to check out the sales. Now, I, I for one, have never understood or, or never been a part of that. I, I don't know why, but uh, a lot of folks do, and I understand the reasoning. Because sometimes, on that rare occasion, you can find something that somebody wants to throw away that is actually worth a lot of money. I want to share a couple of garage sale finds with you. I think they will amaze you. They amazed me. Uh, at one yard sale, a man found a preview copy of a record with the words Velvet Underground written on top. Now, that might not mean anything to you. He bought it for a mere 75 cents. To his surprise, this was a demo of the Velvet Underground's first album, and the copy eventually sold for $25,000. I'm sure he became a fan of the band after cashing in. <coughs> Terry Horton, a truck driver, she bought this painting for only $5 that she claimed was ugly. In fact, she intended to take it home and throw darts at the painting. She, it turned out to be by the famed abstract painter Jackson Pollock. And if you've seen Jackson Pollock's work, it's hard to tell that there's a design in the painting. But his work is very valuable. In fact, it, this painting has been valued at $9 million. You believe it? $5 to $9 million. In 1989, a man bought a picture frame with a hidden surprise. Inside was a rare copy of the Declaration of Independence. The man's $4 investment turned into over $2 million. Again, in 2006, a Nashville man paid less than $2.50 for what appeared to be a copy of the Declaration of Independence. It was no ordinary copy. It was one of the several that were commissioned by John Quincy Adams. The copy, this copy was sold at auction for over $475,000. The moral of the story, if you see a copy of the Declaration of Independence at a yard sale, you ought to buy it. it, it you think about this, a, a price is what somebody is willing to pay, isn't it? Something to you might be worth a few pennies. To me, it might be worth more. All of us have prized possessions, don't we? And maybe it's some article of clothing. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a, some kind of electronic device. Maybe it's a house. Uh, oftentimes, it's tied into our memories. But, but there's a price for everything. God also has prized possessions. But, you know, maybe you're like me. When I have to buy a gift for my dad... It's almost impossible because he has everything he would ever want materially. It's tough. So if God, who owns all of, of everything, who created everything, the scripture says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, it, it, what is it that God prizes? What is his most prized possession? The, the good news I have for you today is his most prized possession is you. We're starting a new series. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us about the body life, a life within the body of Christ, the church. Uh, body life, I think, the ways in which it's best for us to live. So I hope you'll join us uh, through this series as we unpack Ephesians. But I, I think he starts with these first verses 
uh, verses 3 through 14, he starts by telling us that we are God's prized possessions. He tells us about the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. It's very easy for this world to beat us down. It's very easy, perhaps, with the things that have, are parts of our past uh, to not think nearly as well of ourselves as God does, to not know how precious and valuable we are in his sight. We're going to look at that today. Now, verses 3 through 14 in Greek actually are one long sentence. If you write one run-on sentences, Paul's got you beat. From verse 3 to 14, one sentence. I'm going to break it down and give you these five blessings. As God's prized possessions, uh, possession, you can first be redeemed. You can be redeemed. Let's read it, verses 3 through 7. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which is freely given us in the one he loves. In him... We have redemption through his blood. Hear that. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Very important, verse 7. It tells us that we can be redeemed. We don't think of the word redeemed much today, but it's a crucial word in the New Testament. It's at the very heart of the gospel for us. There are three words in Greek. Uh, for redemption or to be redeemed. Uh, the first is agorazo. It's the price you pay for something. And it had its roots in, and those times they actually practiced slavery. In those times it, it, it had the root in the, the price for a person. Uh, we don't have slavery here today, thanks be to God, at least on the surface. But today I hope you're aware that many people are trafficked often from third world or or impoverished places, they are trafficked and used for bad reasons. I hope you're aware of that and you understand about that. If you can get involved in helping to end that practice, I hope you can. But uh, agarazzo meant the price that was paid for a person, for a slave. Ex agarazzo means, also used for redemption, means to purchase out. In other words, it was the price you could pay uh, to have a slave be transferred. And then uh, there's a word lutro or apolutrosis. Uh, that means to set free, to release. And that's the word that's used here. So you put that all together, what that means is he's saying in him, Jesus, we have redemption. In other words, he is the price paid to set us free. He is the price paid to release us from slavery. You think about that. If it were just a one-person world, if it were just you, that Jesus paid the price to set you free. He paid the price to redeem you, to bring you his blessing. What a great blessing that is indeed. Redemption. Redemption comes to us through Christ. Redemption can be ours. Another way of saying that is the second blessing is to be forgiven. We as his prized possessions can be forgiven. 
Again in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have forgiveness. Now what does forgiveness mean? It is that process of, 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 of being released, of, of being set free from not only the, the slavery of where we are, but also the penalty or the consequence of it. In other words, our misdeeds bring negative consequences. Our misdeeds cost pain to ourselves and to others. To be forgiven means we're released, we're, we're uh, exonerated from those consequences. They are wiped clean. <laughs> the, the, the record is set straight. You know, it happens sometimes with young people. Young people make mistakes in judgment and they'll get in trouble with the law. And they'll say, as the, the law interacts with them, they'll say, if you'll do this, then this will be wiped from your record, right? Well, God doesn't have any kind of legal record that he keeps, but it does say uh, that God will uh, forget our sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgives us because of the price that is paid. You see, the wages of sin, Romans chapter 3 tells us the wages of sin is death. But it also tells us that Jesus is willing to pay those wages. He's willing to pay that price to set us free. There's always a price to forgiveness, isn't there? If someone slaps you in the face, the price of forgiveness is that slap on your face if you choose to forgive them. But let me say to you today, I think it's very important to understand the practical nature of forgiveness. I really think the reason a lot of us struggle in life is we haven't really embraced God's forgiveness. I think a lot of us have a problem forgiving ourselves. And even more, as we have a problem accepting his forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, or we take it too lightly, then we have a problem forgiving others. Very important to see what God says. In the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, we're taught to pray, forgive us our debts as what? We forgive our debtors. Jesus said in another place that the amount to which we forgive others is reflective of our embracing of forgiveness ourselves. So oftentimes we hold on to those grudges, not realizing that God gave his son, God gave the ultimate price so that we could have that forgiveness. Friends, I think it's a direct reflection of the value of the embracing of ourselves with our forgiveness in the degree that we forgive others. If you're having trouble forgiving someone else, I want you to think about this fact. Think about what it meant for God to forgive you. Think about it, what it means for you to have a price paid that could not be put in monetary terms. You see, we often denote prices in dollars or in different countries as euros or, or different, whatever the unit of currency is. But there is no price that could bring redemption. There is no price monetarily that can bring forgiveness. One of the greatest things you could give to someone else is to forgive them. <laughs> Perhaps the greatest thing you can give yourself is to forgive them. 
Third blessing uh, is God's prized possession. You can have the riches of God's grace. Now I want you to watch carefully how this is worded. You can have the riches of God's grace. This is in verses 7 and uh, the first part of verse 8. Have the, have the riches of God's grace in him. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins, and in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In accordance with the riches. Not out of his riches, in accordance. That is, like God gives, like God blesses. In the 1930s, John D. Rockefeller was a millionaire. You probably have heard of him. He used to dress up in a suit and a bow tie and a top hat and have a picture, uh, his picture taken giving some poor boy a dime. In fact, many think he was the model for the, the iconic picture of the Monopoly box, you know, the man in the top hat. And a dime was a lot of money in those days. It would be equivalent to about $10 today. But even so, the most that could be said of Rockefeller is that he was giving out of the abundance of his riches. However, if he'd gone to one of those boys and had purchased for him a mansion in the country and had given him a chauffeur-driven limousine, then it could be said that he was giving according to his riches. Let's just see that distinction. Do you, do you grasp that? That when it says God has given us his grace according to his riches, what that means is we have available to tap into this mysterious force, grace. His amazing grace changes the whole perspective of our world. You perhaps have seen when you use a photography lens, you can put different lenses that, that totally change the view. Maybe today we need to have an appreciation. We need to have our view changed of life to see that not just has God blessed us, but according to the riches of his grace, he has blessed us. So oftentimes we think too short term. We have too myopic a vision. We're, we're so focused on what's right in front of us, we don't see the big picture of the amazing blessings of God. Let me share a story that maybe will, will help you to, to put your mind around what I'm talking about. Dr. Stanley Livingston had a medical condition in which he was required to drink goat's milk. He was visited one day by a tribal king in Africa where he was serving, and he noticed that the king was eyeing his goat. Nothing like having your goat eyed. And Livingston felt led of the Lord to give the goat as a gift to the king, and in return, the king presented him with a staff that he was carrying. Later that day, Livingston confided in a friend, I don't know what I was thinking. How could I be so, so foolish to give this goat whose milk I need away? I don't know what else I'll do with this stick. All I got was this stick in return. His friend replied, you don't understand. That isn't a stick. It is a scepter. You don't own just one goat. Now you own all the goats in the tribe. The Lord has given each of us an inheritance. It is a scepter. And we sometimes walk around thinking it's just a stick. We don't really grasp that God, according to the riches of his grace, has shared that with us. Friends, what a difference it could make if every day we walked in grace. See, oftentimes we talk about being saved by grace, and that is true. But we are told to take 
the blessings of God as he indwells us with his spirit and walk in grace, to live in grace, and to be grace to those around us. And how freeing it is. So oftentimes you think that you're doing this for others, but living, having that, that understanding, that embracing that grace is so freeing. It is so much being fully alive. I hope that if you don't know that yet, you will. You'll keep walking toward the Lord. You'll keep reading his word. You'll, you'll keep growing in him and, and someday be able to embrace that grace. To be able to forgive yourself. To see the tremendous non-financial price that has been given so that you can live freely. That's what God wants to do with each of us. Fourthly, as God's prized possession, you can see the mystery of God's will. I've already kind of hinted at that. The things I've been talking about are, are kind of mysterious and esoteric, but they are something that as we walk, we can grow to understand. But I'm talking about even more the big picture. One reason we did the story, which we just finished, was to show you there was always a plan from the book of Genesis to Revelation. There was always this big picture, this upper story. Well, Paul kind of hints at that here in verses 8 uh, through 10. It says this, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, I want to tell you, uh, sometimes I read sentences and I'm like, what? And, and this, this section of Scripture, in fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians, they can get kind of like that, where you got, what? I mean, they're long and wordy, but, but if you, as you unpack that, you see that God, as we pursue him, as we walk with him, as we become a part of his body and learn about his ways, then gradually we can see this big picture. And here it's saying, basically as it comes to the conclusion in Revelation, here he's saying that if you're on the Lord's side, you're on the winning side. Well, if you're on the Lord's side, then at the end of time, all of it will come clear. Those who believe, those who are God's people will be sheep. The others who have rejected God, who haven't believed in God, will be goats. And bad things will happen to the goats. Good things. Eternity with God will happen for the sheep. That's the big picture view, but even more, you can start to see that as you start to see God work. One thing that keeps me going in ministry is to see a person who is gripped in addiction, who, who is gripped with self-doubt, who is gripped with different kinds of emotional or psychological problems, uh, to see them as they read the gospel, as they embrace the gospel, they understand that Jesus does love them and does want to be their Lord and Savior, to see them start to change, to, to hit a crossroads, to, to do a 180. And not only does that person, as they begin to accept God's salvation, as they begin to live by God's grace, not only does it change the way they live, but it begins to have an effect on the people around them. It, the whole trajectory of their life and those around them changes. God can do the impossible with people. He can totally change them. 
That is a depiction for me of the mystery of God's will, of his plan. God is a transformer. Not the cars that turn into robots, but God is a life transformer. As we will allow him, as we will embrace him, as we will believe in him, God wants to transform us, to change us from being all about us to being all about him and all about others. Finally, as God's prized possession, you can be signed, sealed, and delivered. That's actually what the verbs say to us in these concluding verses of this long sentence. You see, the reason I think it's a long sentence is Paul starts writing about God's blessing. He just gets so excited, he just keeps going. Comma, 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 no period, right? He's, he's excited about it. I hope you're embracing that. From the second part of verse 10 to verse 14. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God is a unifier. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plans of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to be put, to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed... You were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See, what this says is, as we believe, as we come to faith in Christ, God is signing a covenant with us. That is, uh, it's a sacred contract. And as God signs his name. He signed his name by giving us Jesus. He signs his name. You can count on it. He signs his name and he says, not only will you have an inheritance, but you have an inheritance. The word form there, the verb form is in the present. You automatically start living out this inheritance. God's ways are better than man's ways. As we learn to embrace that and live in God's ways, we get and that, that inheritance begins working present day. Signed. God signs his covenant. He starts to bless us. He also seals us. We don't use that so often today in this word of email and instant messages. But a seal, uh, very important in ancient days, it conveyed authenticity. If something was sealed with a royal seal, or with the seal of a company or a business owner, it meant it was authentic. It also was used for protection. Remember when Jesus was placed in the tomb, a seal was placed across the, the stone that covered the entrance to the tomb. It was to show that this would not, it was not broken, it was not tampered with. Like you seal an envelope, if you use snail mail, you seal an envelope, it's Theoretically, to protect the contents, to make sure they're not tampered with. This says that God seals us with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.38, the Bible says, as we come to Christ, as we believe in him, and we are baptized into him, we receive the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling spirit. Here, the work of the Spirit is described as being a, a, a deposit, as being a seal for us. So that's how we are 
living in this in present day inheritance through the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit being a sure guarantee of what God promises to deliver. And that's the final thing I share with you out of this long sentence of God's blessings for us is he will deliver. We live in a take-back society, don't we? If you don't like something, you take it back. In fact, a lot of companies, their selling point is what? <clears throat> no uh, Guaranteed return. Guaranteed take back. So much so that in the Urban Dictionary, we actually have a term, no take back. Maybe you say that. You make a deal with somebody and you say, no take backs, right? But our take backs extend not just to things we purchase. It also, sadly, can be with people, can it? We enter into a contract. Things don't work out. We break it or they break it with us. We fall out of love with somebody. We go our separate ways. In that kind of world, it brings great damage. And I know in a group of this size, there's damage today. See, I'm a firm believer that a lot of us don't have a great view of ourselves. We have a lot of insecurity. We don't really value ourselves because we live in a take back world but God is a no take back God Keith Miller who was kind of a pioneer of the small group movement he wrote one time about a, a woman 40 who was in one of his small groups she shared her backstory. she said when she was a tiny little girl her parents died and she was put in an orphanage she was not pretty at all and so no one seemed to want her. But she longed to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as she could remember. She thought about it day and night, but everything she did seemed to go wrong. She must have tried too hard to please the people as they came to look her over. And she tried so hard it drove them away. One day the head of the orphanage came and said a family was coming to take her home with them. She was so excited that she jumped up and down and cried like a little baby. The matron reminded her that she was on trial and this might, might not be a permanent arrangement, but she just knew somehow that it would work out. So she went with this family and started to school. She was the happiest little girl you could imagine and life began to open up for her just a little. But one day, a few months later, she skipped home from school and ran into the front door of the big old house she lived in. No one was at home, but in the middle of the front hall was her battered suitcase with her coat thrown across it. As she stood there, it suddenly dawned on her what it meant. She didn't belong there anymore. This woman, as she told this story, 40 years old, she said, this happened to me seven times before she was 13 years old. But she said, wait, 
don't feel too badly for me. It was experiences like this that ultimately brought me to God. As I understood that there I could find what I always had longed for. A place. A sense of belonging. A forever family. I cannot tell you strongly enough that God loves you. That you are not junk. That he prizes you. And he wants nothing more than to be your heavenly father. For you to be his son or his daughter. You do matter. You do belong. You do count. Fathers, we think about these things. This world can be a hard place. It can be a bitter place. It can bring us great losses. But you tell us in your word, if God be for us, if you are for us, who can be against us? You tell us that nothing can separate us from the love, your love, that is shown to us in Jesus Christ. So I pray this day that we know we are loved and that we can belong and that we can be a part of your family. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.